Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Thank you to Justin and Nikki and the team just for leading us in a great time of worship as we focus our hearts and our attentions on the greatness of God, the goodness of God as our cornerstone and just a perfect setting as we continue our series this morning in 2 Corinthians talking about the sufficiency of God, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as our Savior, our cornerstone, the one who redeems us. And so if you have a Bible this morning, I trust that you do. I'm going to ask you to grab it and turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Follow along with us. You should have also gotten maybe a a small group study guide with an outline on there. You can follow along with that as well. Uh, Comment in the chats, interact with us, let us know what you're learning, what God's teaching you, and, and what you see in the passage as we make our way through. So just a few weeks ago, Pastor Scott launched this series and beginning in chapter one and then into chapter two, just talking about uh, our trials and our suffering and, and then how Paul deals with our character, how our character is revealed in, in certain aspects of things that we deal with, with those trials and those, those sufferings and, and then dealing with forgiveness because as we deal with trials and sufferings, uh, our character is tested and sometimes we need to forgive. And we've had some great discussions around the church family all around the Raleigh area this week just on the forgiveness issues. So right at the very end of of Pastor Scott's text last week in in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church and he makes an interesting statement because he says in verse 11, he says, in order that, in other words, my forgiveness, I'm forgiving others in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. That's a, that's a really interesting perspective. And basically what he's setting up is that, look, all the stuff that we go through is part of a spiritual battle. Satan is on the attack and we are dealing with spiritual warfare. And, and so Paul is going, look, I mean, we're not unaware of Satan's schemes. Um, he, he's going to try to outwit us because we are in a battle. There's a a battle that's taking place for the life of every single person, for us as believers, for those that are not yet believers, for people uh, that that are in this world that are struggling. And so as we move into this next little section, as we continue this morning, picking up in, in verse 12, it's important to know that Paul made this transition talking about spiritual warfare. Satan is a schemer. He's a deceiver and he's doing everything he can. And so as we live for Christ, we have to realize that we are dealing with a spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare. And when we as followers of Jesus Christ truly begin to grasp that our relationship to a lost and dying world uh, is one of spiritual warfare, it's a spiritual battle, it begins to change the way that we live. We begin to see people that are lost and dying without Jesus Christ. And the only way to reach them is a spiritual battle. It's not a battle of the flesh. We are in the midst of a lot of craziness in our world right now. Pandemic and an election going on and all these things. And, and we're thinking, but if only this will happen and only this will happen, then things will be better. If only the right person or the right party is elected, then things are going to get better. Listen, it's all part of a spiritual battle. And we have to see it that way. 
And the Holy Spirit is alive in and through his church. And that is the answer. That is the the spiritual battle that we wage as believers in Jesus Christ. So as we look at this passage of scripture, it's, it's important to realize that war has been going on as long as mankind has existed. And, and war deals with death. Uh, we fight a war, and typically the objective is to kill to gain ground, to gain power. But in spiritual warfare, the objective is to bring life to those that are already dead. That is the battle of spiritual warfare. And as we look at this, it's interesting because as followers of Jesus, we, we are the ones who bring life to the lifeless. We're the ones who bring hope to those who are hopeless. We bring peace to those that know no peace in this world. We bring answers to those who are seeking and the answers and the hope and the peace and the life is in the person of Jesus Christ. And our tendency oftentimes in church, at least what I've discovered in my life, is that we often tend to, to lay back in our, our, I like to call them Christian foxholes, right? Our churches, our Bible studies, our little huddles, our little communities, and we'd simply pull back and, and we look at the lost, dying world around us and we begin to lob our truth bombs, right? Uh, our arsenal and our ammo and, and, and we become um, pious religious people. Uh, we think that government victories or some kind of legislation is going to fix everything and it's not because our world is broken and it's sinful and it's dying apart from Jesus Christ. But, but we tend to pull back to our, our little Christian foxholes and we lob all our truth bombs and all our self-righteousness and our, and our pious attitude at a world that Paul is going to tell us you can't do that. You got to go out into the world. And, and so he begins to unpack that and he brings a sense of clarity to the calling of us as children of God. Uh, when we deal with the sufferings, when we deal with the trials, when we deal with forgiveness, when we deal with those uh, crises of character, we begin to get clarity to realize that, that as we're doing spiritual warfare with a, a dying world around us, we do it very personally. We can't just hunker down in the bunkers of our church walls. We have to go. So look at verse 12 with me as we begin to unpack this passage. Paul writes, he says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. Uh, Let me stop here for just a moment because Paul brings clarity to the gospel. Your first point this morning that we have to understand is, is that we have to have clarity of the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, We live in a world where the gospel is somewhat distorted, and Paul has already addressed the gospel in his first letter to the church in Corinth, and he's going to talk about the gospel a lot in the remainder of this letter. But let me remind you of what Paul said in his first letter to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Great truth, right? 
He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born, speaking of himself, he appeared also to me, for I and the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, here he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me is not in vain. This was the gospel that Paul proclaimed to the church in Corinth and now he's coming back and he's reminding them, I came back to preach this gospel Uh, there's different types of gospel that even some churches begin to embrace a social gospel. If we can only help people be better or live a better sinful life, well, that's not the gospel because the Bible says that we're all broken. Here, Here is very simply the gospel, okay? The fact that God loves you. The Bible clearly tells us that God loves you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Uh, that, that word world is not the dirt, the trees, the earth. It's mankind. Listen, if you're listening to me, if you are alive today, I want you to know how much God loves you and is pursuing you. But the Bible also tells us that, that we are sinful and separated from him. Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Uh, That's every one of us. I'm a dad with three kids and and they were all wonderful sinners and I never had to teach them how to sin. It was just amazing. It was like they just, they were born naturally to sin just like me and just like you because we are sinners by nature. And the Bible says what we earn, Romans 6, 23, what we earn for the wages of our sin is death. And that simply means separation, that we are separated from God because of our sin. He is holy and righteous and I am a sinner. And my sin separates me from him. But the great news, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ alone is God's only provision for my sin and your sin. That through him, I can know and experience his great love and his plan and his forgiveness. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, I'm the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. If you could picture for a moment a holy, righteous God and me and you, right? All of us as sinners, there's a huge separation between us and there's no amount of good works am I going to be able to perform in order to achieve his love and forgiveness. But God made a way. He he did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He did for you what you can't do for yourself and that is to live a sinless life, die on the cross, pay the penalty for my sin and your sin and make a way for us to bridge that gap. He created a bridge through the person of Jesus Christ on the cross so that I and you could cross over from death and sin to a new life in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that Paul came to proclaim Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for me and you that even while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Now, it's great to know those things. God loves you. We're sinners. God made a way for you and I to be saved from the penalty of sin. And it's wonderful to know those things, but that's not what brings you into a right relationship with Jesus. 
You can know all those things. I believe that Satan knows all those things. But the Bible says we must each individually receive Jesus Christ. See, it's not just enough to know that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he died, that he rose again on the third day, that he appeared to more than 500 at one time, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15. It's not enough just to know that because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 simply says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works so that no one can boast. I can't boast because of a free gift that God is offering to me. But it's one thing to, to be offered that gift. If I could just for a moment create a picture that it's some special day for you and I show up at your house and I'm offering you a gift, beautifully wrapped, probably really expensive because I went all out for you because I care about you and I got the best thing off the Walmart toy aisle that I could possibly find for you and I wrapped it nice and I bring it to you and I'm offering you that gift. And I can offer it and offer it, but that gift is never yours until you Yeah, you reach out and you receive that gift. That's what salvation is. You can know all about church and you can know all about Jesus and you can know all about the the things that the Bible teaches and you could even be a member of a church or do a lot of wonderful things. But listen, until you receive by grace through faith that free gift of salvation, it's not yours. And very simply, the Bible says we, we simply have to confess our sin. And years ago, I prayed a very simple prayer. went something like this, Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I don't have the capacity to live a life that's honoring to you. So the best way I know how I give you complete control of my life, thank you for dying on the cross. Come into my life, save me and make me the person you want me to be. Folks, that's the gospel. God did for me what I was incapable of doing. And maybe right now in this moment, That simple prayer expresses the desire of your heart and and you would like to talk to somebody. You you can grab your phone right now and simply text the word Jesus to the number that's on your screen that Pastor Scott was sharing earlier. Just text that word. Just text Jesus. We would love to talk with you. We would love to, to just help answer any questions. We can't do it for you. But we want to help you discover what a new relationship with Jesus is all about. And this is vital because the next two points that I want to share that Paul brings out are directly to those of us who have given our life to Jesus. So this is a critical point. Do you know him? Do you need to talk to somebody? Just text Jesus right now. Let us talk to you. Let us help answer those questions and introduce you to the God that loves you so dearly. Paul gives us the clarity of the gospel. He went to Corinth to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on speaking then to believers. He says, we also need to have clarity of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. The clarity of the victory. Look in verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ, Pastor Scott really hit on this just a couple of of weeks ago in chapter one, verse 20, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And here he brings it home again, in Christ, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The clarity of our victory. Listen, when you and I come to the place of putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are victorious. And, and Paul uses an analogy right here that, that you and I probably don't understand well in our American culture. 
But as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, these people clearly would have had the, a, a perfect picture in their mind of exactly what Paul was talking about. He's referring to a Roman triumph, uh, triumphal pr- a procession. Because as the Roman armies would, would go to war, when a general was victorious, they would give special tribute to him. Uh, typically, if it was a conquering general who on foreign soil had conquered land, uh, completed a victory, probably killed at least 5,000 enemy soldiers, gained new territory for the emperor, then, then that commander-in-chief was entitled to this Roman triumph. And so the processional would include the commander that won the victory riding in this golden chariot surrounded by his officers. The parade would also include a display of some of the spoils of battle that he would have brought home with him. Um, and, And as well as probably some of the captive enemies that he brought back. And, and it was a very specific route, a procession that would follow a special route through Rome, through the city, and would end at a place called Circus Maximus, a giant um, gladiator arena, something you've probably all seen in movies where the gladiators fight and, and they throw uh, enemies out there who are destroyed by lions and tigers and bears, oh my right? Uh, But Circus Maximus, this massive place, they say probably seated up to about 150,000 people. So this processional of of this Roman triumph celebrating this general would, would make his way through. But it's interesting because the victorious general's sons would also be a part of that parade. His sons would come alongside. They would walk behind their father's chariot, sharing in his victory. And that is where these believers are today. They're they're following Christ's triumph. He is victorious. He conquered the cross. He conquered the grave. He conquered death on our behalf. That's the gospel. And we live in victory because we are sons and daughters of the king. And so as Paul is writing to them, he's saying, man, it is in Christ that we have victory. And in spiritual warfare, you've heard this several times over the last couple of months here at Southbridge, but in spiritual battle and in spiritual warfare, we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. That's exactly what Paul is saying right here. We are victorious when we come to the place of giving our heart and life to Jesus Christ and he changes us because we believe that spiritual transformation leads to gospel saturation. I love what my old pastor in Dallas, Dr. Jack Graham, once said. He said, all the artillery and weaponry of hell is powerless at the name of Jesus because in Jesus' name, the victory is ours. And it's at the name of Jesus that we march behind his chariot in victory. We walk out of our homes every day of our life walking in victory because Jesus Christ was victorious and we're simply simply recipients of that glory. So there's clarity of the gospel, there's clarity to the victory that we share, but then Paul drills this just a little bit deeper because he says with that victory and with the name change becoming children of the king comes great responsibility and so he gives us clarity of the calling 
that you and I have been given. Verse 14, let's pick it back up. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Did you catch that? For we, verse 15, are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are being perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. What an interesting phrase. What an interesting phrase that Paul says, look, you are having impact it's really not, we don't leave our house as victorious followers of Jesus Christ and decide, hey, I think I will have impact. I think I will create the aroma of Christ. Listen, we are having impact. The question is, is it positive? Is it negative? We have an aroma about us. We have a fragrance about us. The question is, is it good or is it bad? And he tells us we have a calling. We have a mission. We have been called to be victorious in Jesus Christ, but we've been called with a greater purpose. This word picture again comes from the idea of this Roman triumphal parade. As they would parade through the holy city, the Roman priests would be carrying their, their giant incense lanterns and they would be swinging them and waving them. There would be flower petals all over, much like a ticker tape parade. And so as this parade would move through the city, the aroma would change. There was a fragrance and aroma as they would wave the incense and drop the flowers all over. And it would completely change the surroundings. And Paul is saying, look, when you and I march in triumphal procession with Jesus Christ, we have a fragrance and an aroma that changes every place that we go. And as the Roman priest burned that incense in the parade, that, that odor or aroma affected different people in different ways. Because if you think about that triumphal procession marching through the city, there are those who are the recipients of the great reward. But again, remember, there are enemies that have been captured in that parade as well. And, and for those that were captured, they were the enemies, they were the rejectors, and, and that what would have been a sweet smell and a sweet fragrance to everyone else was horrible for them. It, it represented death where everyone else was celebrating, it represented life. As you and I spread the aroma of Christ, there are people who receive our, our testimony and our witness as life. And there are others that receive it as death. And why? Because we are fighting a spiritual battle to bring life to those who are dead. It, it, Paul's saying it completely flips the paradigm. And we begin to understand the mission to which God has called us. To the triumphant soldiers, it brought life and victory to the conquered enemy, to those that we encounter day in and day out that are dead in their trespasses and sin, our joy and our hope and our grace and the love that we experience in Jesus Christ may very well to them mean death and defeat. Wow. What a challenge to understand the clarity of our calling as children of God. Paul pictured the Christian ministry as he used this image. He saw believers as, as incense, if you would, 
giving forth this fragrance of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, everywhere I go, we are letting off the fragrance of Christ through our attitudes, through our actions, through our words, through our very presence. To God, believers are the very fragrance of Jesus Christ, his love and his grace demonstrated to a lost and dying world. Now, like most men, I'm married way up. Man, I outkicked my coverage when I met and married my beautiful wife. And, and she, she's incredible in a lot of ways. But I'll tell you this, one of her superpowers is the sense of smell. Uh, I've just discovered that through 30 plus years of marriage, man. She's like, she's like the, got this incredible sniffer. And what I have discovered, guys, and I don't know about you and your relationship with your wife, but I've discovered that when my kids were small and Leslie may have gone to the mall or gone out of town or something, if she was coming home, it didn't matter what the house was like. Kids could have been swinging from the fans and everything could have been in disarray. But if the house smelled good, I was okay. Uh, there, there was just something magic about that. And to this day, uh, she has this incredible ability to just smell things that as a guy, I just don't smell and I don't really understand. But I did understand that, that to, to minister to her and to care for her, if, if things smelled okay, it was fine. And that was just something that I kind of learned through the process because the power of smell, the power of an aroma, the power of an odor is very, very strong. And Paul uniquely uses two different words in this passage. One being a, a smell or fragrance or an aroma. One, um, the other uh, sort of being that fragrance that is more of a sweet and pleasing scent. Now, here's what I've discovered about smell through my lifetime. That a fragrance or a scent spreads everywhere. It, it just spreads everywhere. Now, when I, when I was a young boy, I was a great kid, by the way. But I had an older brother that, that tended to get me in a lot of trouble. Um, it was always his fault, never my fault. But I do remember as a little boy sitting in church... And my brother had this great ability, if you remember cap guns and a little roll of caps, my brother had the ability to pop those caps with his fingernail. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever smelled the, a burnt cap or gunpowder in, in a church, but my brother would pop those things off and I'm telling you that, that smell would immediately fill that room. And everybody was like, oh, there's those Morley kids again right? Um, but that, that smell spreads everywhere. You can light a candle in your home or, or when, when mom was baking those wonderful chocolate chip cookies, man, I'm telling you what, that aroma just went everywhere because it just spreads. But you know what? A scent or an aroma also permeates things. It begins to cling to things, especially people and clothing, and again, I was a great kid, but my brother oftentimes would take me perhaps places we shouldn't have been. And we would come home, and, and again, I don't know if it's just a mom thing or what, but, but she had this uncanny ability to go, where you been? Oh, nowhere. Now, you've been somewhere that you weren't supposed to be. And I'm like, how do you know that? Well, as I got a little older, I kind of realized, you know, sometimes we brought the smell of our environments home with us. Why? Because smells permeate things. 
you begin to carry the scent with you. And as a child of God, that, that aroma, that scent spreads everywhere because it's permeating in you and I. The presence of the Holy Spirit of God in us begins to change who we are. It begins to change the fragrance of who we are. But you know what? Scents and fragrances also affects everyone that it contacts. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking about Brussels sprouts. And I, listen, over the last few weeks, no one has still convinced me to enjoy Brussels sprouts. I've had numerous menus and, and ways to prepare them thrown at me. And for whatever reason, after several years, my wife made Brussels sprouts the other night. And, and I just got to tell you, some of you would have walked in our house and said, wow, this is awesome. This is terrific. But I got to be honest, I'm walking around the house and I was almost kind of thrown up in my mouth, right? It was like, uh, it was just the smell. Was, there was nothing pleasing about it. But praise God, she enjoyed her Brussels sprouts, right? But I'm telling you what, scents and fragrances and aroma affects everybody that, that it comes in contact with. And it might be something you greatly enjoy and it might be something that you don't. We all have memories of wonderful things, right? Those, those holiday meals when you walk into grandma's house and, and you know, man, it's just a wonderful meal. And, and we, we remember those biscuits that mom made or whatever it might be. Even in your home today, there's certain smells that, boy, it just triggers a lot of memories. Why? Because it affected us in a great way. But you know what? A fragrance or a scent also changes the environment. My wife is great with this, as, as I know so many women are, at just setting the, the atmosphere in a home, especially if you're having guests in. They just, ladies, God bless you. Thank you for all that you do and just the, the gifts that, that God gives you. You know how to just make the environment work. And, and smell is part of that process. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, look, we are the sweet fragrance of Christ. Everywhere that we go and, and, and we begin to spread the goodness and grace and the mercy of Jesus everywhere, it, it begins to permeate things. It begins to affect everyone that it comes in contact with. It begins to change the environment. Uh, but there's a big difference, isn't there, between a sweet fragrance or aroma and a bad odor. I'm a dad with three kids. Yes, I've left dirty diapers in a car in the hot summer heat. That's bad, right? Um, I, I've had teenage boys in a van with me for hours, and it's like, oh, man, I understand bad odors. And, and that old Axe spray, that ain't going to help. You know, it only makes it bad to worse. But there's a difference. And, and you and I, as children of God, what Paul is saying, he says, look, you could be a sweet fragrance of life or you could be a bad odor of death. And through the sufferings, through the trials, through the difficulties, through the unforgiveness, we begin to spread that everywhere. Are we spreading the joy and the hope and the sweet fragrance of Jesus? Or does our presence become like death, destruction to everyone that we come in contact with? See, it raises a difficult question for us, especially during this political season. Can I hold my Christian values? Can I hold true to the things of God's word and still interact with people with grace, with mercy, with peace, with kindness? And the answer is yes. Yes, you can, you can do both. You can disagree with people on issues and beliefs and not be a jerk. 
about it. We can still spread a sweet fragrance of God's love and grace and hope and hold fast to the truth of God's word and still be a pleasing aroma to those with whom we come in contact. I love Pastor Tim Keller. And and I heard him say one time, he said, if you are in a city or a community that is broken, where people are burned out or spiritually lost, he said, get this, stay as long as you can. Uh, You know what he's saying? He's saying, why? Because God has uniquely placed you there to be a fragrance of the knowledge of him to people who are lost and dying and broken and hurt. Think about the people that you will come in contact with today and tomorrow and this week and think about the sweet fragrance of, of the aroma of Christ that you can bring to your home and to your workplace into your neighborhood into the business that you may step in or the restaurant that you may step in or the mechanic shop or Walmart or wherever you may go that you can step in with a sweet fragrant aroma of the love and the grace and the mercy of God. You can change the environment. You can permeate the atmosphere. You can affect to everyone that you come in contact with, you can change the environment of that surrounding by simply allowing the Spirit of God to do spiritual warfare through you to impact the lives of those around you. We are the aroma of Christ that brings life. So here's my question as we close. How do you smell? (laughs) Kind of strange, right? How do you smell? As a child of God, how do you smell? As you prepare to leave your home or even get up and interact with your family, just ask yourself, how do I smell? Do I smell like the sweet, fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ living in triumphant victory? Will I make a difference to those around me and bring life to help move people from spiritual death to spiritual life by the way that I live, by the words that I speak, by the attitudes, by the expressions on my face? Will I bring life? Will I be the fragrant aroma of Christ? We want to be an encouragement to you. Maybe you have questions. Uh, Maybe there's something you're struggling with right now. Maybe there's someone you need to pray for and say, listen, I just need someone to pray with me because I'm struggling. I don't know how to be a sweet aroma of Christ to this person. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to know what it means to really know Jesus Christ If you would just text us right now, we would love to help answer those questions or just pray with you. So if you want to know Christ, just text the word Jesus. And if you want us to pray for you just right now, just text the word pray. And we'll we'll interact with you as best we can to help pray and, and to help you walk in a tight relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you have called us from death to life. Lord, that you have called us to be uh, the sweet aroma, the sweet fragrance that conveys the hope of Jesus Christ with every single person that we come in contact with. And Lord, even those that we may not speak with, uh, the aroma just fills the space and, and it impacts and permeates those around us. Lord, would you just let us be dependent on you to walk in victory God, to clearly just convey your grace to every single person we come in contact with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.